Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Hello, Utah Street. Five, four, three, two, one. From inside our two-bedroom apartment in downtown Baltimore, it is the Masson All Access Podcast. Paul Mancano and Brendan Mortensen here with you as always on a special, special day. We have so much to talk about, Brendan, and of course, we got to dive right into it. We got to start by talking about the story that has been around baseball is the story in baseball right now for the has been for the past 18 or so hours I suppose was the story of the Orioles game yesterday Pat Vileka solo home run in the 7th inning yeah. made it a 3 to nothing game and then uh, before it eventually turned into a 6 to nothing game via Trey Mancini three run homer but what does that Pat Vileka homer mean for him on the Orioles roster short term long term can he stave off Ryland Bannon and Jemai Jones, all important topics that we need to discuss immediately. Yeah, it's what every single Orioles fan has been talking about for the last 24 hours. Is Pat Vileka going to keep his spot as the Orioles' utility man? Is Rhea Ruiz going to take that over? Maybe we see Richie Martin, Jemai Jones. It's just been on everybody's minds. I was walking down the street. In in Federal Hill, and everybody was saying, did you see that Pat Faleka solo homer yesterday? Yeah. Barely cleared the wall. It was, you know, it could have been a foul ball. It, it, he was the name on everybody's lips. Yes. Of course. Um, and he's the topic in baseball. No, of course, we're talking about John Means. And we are talking about his no-hitter against the Seattle Mariners. No offense to Pat Faleka whatsoever. That was a nice solo homer. But of course... I'm sure he would even acknowledge that the John Means... I would hope so. <laughs> no hitter. Could you imagine if Pat Faleka was like, no, this is my <laughs> This day. is the story of the game. Uh, really an unbelievable performance by John Means yesterday against the Seattle Mariners. We're going to dedicate the entire podcast to it because we absolutely have to because these things only come around once every 30 or 50 years in Orioles history. We have so much to talk about the incredible statistics behind it, putting it in context with his career and his career arc and his career story. Uh, And then we're going to talk about uh, pitching in baseball and pitching on the Orioles in general and what this means for the Orioles as a franchise because this is yesterday was a monumental day in Orioles history and one of the most Fun days that we've had, I think, covering the Orioles in a long time. Yeah, it was the sixth no-hitter in Orioles history. They had a combined no-hitter back in 1991, but it was the first individual complete game no-hitter since Jim Palmer in August of 1969. Snaps the longest drought in Major League Baseball by a team uh, for time in between those complete game no-hitters. And John Means was masterful. Yesterday, This was not a fluky no-hitter where he was getting a bunch of ground ball, fly ball outs, and kind of getting lucky here and there. He also ties a career high with 12 strikeouts. He was absolutely dealing. It uh, was the closest you can get also to a perfect game without it actually being a perfect game. It is the first time in Major League history 
in a no-hitter with the only runner reaching base via a strikeout and wild pitch per Elias Sports Bureau. So essentially, it is the first time that that's ever happened where it's been a no-hitter and the only runner on base was not because of an error or a hit batter or a walk. So it was in no fault, obviously, to John Means that it was a no-hitter. And it is as close to a perfect game as you can get without actually getting one. And look, to just get out in front of this one a little bit, I understand being a little bit bummed by the drop third strike by Pedro Severino. But if you're going to talk about that, you also have to talk about the fact that this no-hitter does not happen unless Pedro Severino calls a really, really good game. So you can be upset that he had the dropped third strike, and obviously Severino was not perfect in that game, but he called a flawless game. And, you know... That when it happened, it happened in the third inning. Yeah. So it wasn't like it. It was we got to the seventh and eighth, and right. guys were on their toes and making sure. Not that you know he wasn't on his toes. He just missed it. He just made a, a mistake. Right. And uh, it just didn't in the at the time it didn't seem like much. And he atoned for his mistake immediately by throwing the runner out, trying to steal second for his first uh, caught stealing of the season. So yeah, it is unfortunate, but you know. You have to give credit to Pedro Severino for calling this game. Yes. I mean, it, he called a perfect game because yeah. the only error that he had was dropping that third strike, which made it not a perfect game. But other than that, he called a perfect game. John yeah. Means gave him credit afterwards. And again, if you're going to talk about Pedro Severino in the context of this game as a whole, you have to acknowledge that he called an absolutely masterful game yeah. behind the plate. Let's talk about some of the crazy stats in this one. So it was the sixth no-hitter in Baltimore Orioles history and not franchise history because uh, they include the years in St. Louis, obviously, when you talk about franchise history, but Baltimore Orioles history. So time uh, since they came to Baltimore in 1954, it is the fourth individual no-hitter in Baltimore Orioles history. The first no-hitter period since 1991 when they had a combined no-hitter with Bob Malacky, Mike Flanagan, Mark Williamson, Greg Olson, and you said it off the top, Brendan, the first complete game individual no-hitter since Jim Palmer in 1969. Yeah. Well before we were born, I think you could say, <laughs> 52 years ago. The Orioles have played roughly, I did the math, math last night, about 8,000 games since then. That's a lot. That's a lot of time in between individual no-hitters for the Orioles. And you think about some of the great pitchers that the Orioles have had over the years. First off, I think it's kind of incredible that the Orioles have never had a perfect game, considering some of the greatest pitchers in baseball history have pitched in Baltimore at some point over the course of their careers. But also the fact that it had been that long. Because even between that time period, I know as of late there's been somewhat of a drought for great pitching in Baltimore, but... Between 1969 and 2021, there were some amazing pitchers to come through Baltimore. So for that long of a drought to be broken now, it with this current roster, with a team that is, let's be honest, is probably not going to make the postseason um, and is currently below 500, for it to come now, it, it makes it all the more incredible. Yeah, I mean, you think of some of the great pitchers since Jim Palmer, I mean, not even Mike Messina. Yeah. has had an accomplishment like this. So to have it before John Means, a guy who was so unheralded throughout his minor league career, had to transfer high schools in order to make the varsity team. And he talked about never really having that confidence in himself where he would be able to make it to this point. 
it's it's really incredible that John Means is the one who throws this no-hitter because he really just came out of nowhere. Yeah, uh, it is also the first time in his personal career that he's, in the major leagues at least, that he's gone past the seventh inning. Yeah. Not only did he go past the seventh, he went past the eighth as well. It's the first time he's thrown 113 pitches, and he threw first pitch strikes to 26 of the 27 batters he faced. Again, it was 27 because he got the, the runner reach base, but he was thrown out immediately. So he faced the minimum, and he threw first pitch strikes to all but one of them. It's the highest percentage of first pitch strikes in a game by a single pitcher uh, since 1990 per Elias Sports Bureau. Yeah, and they asked Means after the game when he felt like uh, his stuff was perfect today. And he was like, nah, I don't know. The stuff was fine. Didn't really have to change up at the beginning of the game. So he, was, he wasn't even pitching his best stuff. Yeah. It was just working. But he said one of the big things for him in this game was the inside fastball. He was locating perfectly on the inner half with that fastball, and that was able to set, set up the changeup away. It was able to set up the slider. And just everything was working in combination really, really well for John Means. But even he would say he didn't even have his best stuff. Yeah. Uh, and you could tell, though, that he was feeling it on the mound. Yeah. The confidence was flowing. I think the moment I kind of realized it was, I can't remember which inning, but the, a sharp liner was hit to Ramon Urias. It looked like he might have caught it on the fly, but he uh, Urias kind of showed the ump the ball, then realized I might as well throw to first to get the out. He throws to first, gets the out anyway. Uh, and they show John Means, and he's just kind of shrugging on the mound and you know, kind of stalks yeah. back to the to the rubber. You could just tell he was feeling it at that point. And he was loose in the dugout as well. You know, a lot of guys, when they're throwing no hitters, everybody stays away from them. It's not John Means' personality. Everybody was pretty jovial with him, chatting with him. He said uh, after the game that he's a better pitcher when he's not superstitious, and he was for a large portion of his career. But he realized he's much more relaxed and calm when he's not focused on that. So, uh Whatever he was doing, it was working. Yeah, there, were, there was that Urias moment, and then I think it was the sixth or seventh inning. I remember it, it was a 2-2 count, mm. and he throws, I think it was a changeup down and away that really should have been a strike. It was right on the outside corner, and he didn't get the call for a strikeout. And then the very next pitch, he gets a strikeout. We don't see a lot of emotion from John Means on the mound, but he gave a little fist bump after yeah. that because the ump had kind of... He, he squeezed him on were, the outer half yeah, on that strike. Yeah, there were some strike. questionable calls, yeah. too. He really could have had strike three on the previous pitch and then gets it with a really nice fastball, and we saw John Means say, like, yeah, that's a strike. Well, <laughs> there were some times early in the game where, you know, it looked like the ump was kind of squeezing him, and he also, I will say, was the beneficiary of some close calls as well later on in the game. He got some calls on the inside half, on the inside part. He did. Probably a couple inches off the plate that he got the benefit of some calls. So it went both ways yes. for John Means, but the strike zone was definitely questionable. Um, but Brendan, you brought up kind of what John Means has done throughout his career to get to this point. Um, and he was emotional at times uh, after the game, mostly when he talked about his dad. But uh, he also talked about when he was meeting with the media, his confidence as a kid coming up it and you know a lot of pitchers after something like this happened they'll say you know always dream to this day always thought that this was possible coming up that was not the case for john means yeah but i never thought it would happen never thought in a million years um i, I was never that kid who had a ton of confidence in myself and, and and to be able to get to this point i never really thought i'd be here i'd always 
you know, write MLB, you know, player when, when I was a kid on the, on the sheet, when they asked you what you wanted to do when you were older, but I never thought it was a reality. And, and now that it is, and now I, you know, I'm able to throw this, it's, it's crazy. And I don't even know how to describe it. I don't know how to put it into words. Look, we heard it a couple of years ago when John Means first made the Orioles opening day roster at the beginning of the 2019 season, that this guy has been through a lot and has, over the course of his career, thought about quitting, still has his LinkedIn page, which, by the way, has his all-star graphic made by Mass and Orioles as his cover photo. Uh, he's still huge. Still has his LinkedIn page in case he never needs to go back to it. Don't think he's going to need that for quite a while. But yeah. this is a guy that considered leaving the game of baseball because he was going through such struggles, not just on the mound, but mentally as well. He's a quiet guy, doesn't you know necessarily exude confidence, and certainly does not you know, uh, revel in the spotlight does not, you know, love to, um, not that he doesn't, not that he dislikes giving interviews, but the guy, you know, doesn't really like the spotlight. He, he likes to shine it on others whenever he gets the chance. And he's just a low key, low profile guy. And for this to happen to him, you know, he has embraced it about as well as you can, I think, and, and taking it all in stride. And it's probably because he never really profiled as an ace throughout yeah. his high school career, throughout his college career. He was always good, but, you know, he, he was having his struggles throughout the minor leagues, like you said, and nobody really thought that John Means was going to be able to build this ace stuff. And we've mentioned it where he has become the bona fide ace of the Orioles. He is becoming an ace around Major League Baseball, And for Means, I think it's, you know, because he never really uh, was put into that spotlight from an early age, he's probably not used to being in that position where he is seen as an ace throughout the league. Yeah, pitched at West Virginia, which is not, you know, a phenomenal program. It's not like the SEC teams in the South. It was an 11th round pick, so not one of the higher round picks. Uh, Didn't get a huge signing bonus coming out of West Virginia by the Orioles. Never ranked in Baseball America's top 30 prospects in the Orioles system. Never over the course of his career. Uh, And he barely cracked MLB Pipeline's top 30 prospect rankings twice. uh, 2015 and 2017, the preseason rankings, and also at the end of the 2017 season. um, At a time when, you know, the Orioles system was not great. And he was barely on the edge of the MLB Pipeline's top 30 system, uh, top 30 prospect list. And... It's to give credit to, uh, you know, MLB Pipeline and, and Baseball America. He wasn't great in his minor league career. He hit a major road bump when he got to double-A Bowie. Parts of three seasons in Bowie had a 3-4-3 ERA. That's, that's not elite prospect stuff by no. any, any stretch and could not get out of Bowie. Finally, in 2018, takes the leap to triple-A, has a 348. ERA looks like a guy that could potentially make a major league roster, but it took him so long just to get to that point. And he was to say that he was under the radar at that point, uh, you know, doesn't do it justice because he was not on anybody's radar. Well, not to go on a massive tangent here, Paul, but this is one of the things about the Orioles rebuild that is really special, which is that some of these guys that are really unheralded and might not get an opportunity on a major league roster otherwise are getting opportunities with the Orioles because as you're going through this journey, as you're gathering your top prospects and maybe moving some veterans that are performing well, you have the opportunity to find some diamonds in the rough. And we've talked about it 
with other guys on the roster like Anthony Santander that the Orioles got in the Rule 5 draft. And John Means is a prime example. And he was not a top prospect, like you said, but the Orioles had an open spot in their pitching rotation. John Means gets his chance. And because the Orioles are in this rebuilding scenario, John Means is able to prove himself at the major league level. And not only has he proved himself, but he has built himself up as a building block for the Orioles going forward. And of course, everybody knows uh, at this point, kind of the story of where it goes after he makes that triple a leap in 2018 and turns into um, a major league pitcher and makes his debut Uh, in the 2018 season at Fenway Park. 2019 makes the opening day roster, kind of the last guy in the bullpen. Uh, Pitches at Yankee Stadium, looks pretty good. You say, hey, that that changeup seems like a major league ready pitch. Takes a couple weeks, he's in the rotation. Couple months later, he's at the All-Star game. Has a little bit of uh, a snag down the stretch in 2019. And then in 2020, Really tough out of the gate. He's going through trying to change his the way he pitches, essentially. Adding ticks to his velocity, and it's just not working. It, it looks great, but it's getting hit very hard. Uh, and by the 2nd of September, he had an 8-10 ERA and is going through some things emotionally as well. His dad passes away. He goes back home to um, be with his family and grieve. And a, a guy that you know, is still pretty young. He's 28 years old and loses his dad, comes back to the team. Brandon Hyde sits him down in 2020 and says, you can be a whole lot better. We've seen you a whole lot better. We just want to unlock that. Don't worry about anything. Go out there and pitch. Yeah, you mentioned the velocity there, Paul. He starts throwing his fastball at the beginning of 2020 around 94-95, which we had not seen from John Means. He was usually sitting around 91-92. And the thing that Means discovered and has talked about throughout the season was just because he can throw it that hard doesn't mean he should. Yeah, He was pitching for way more velocity than he was used to, and he was getting away from his command. His changeup wasn't as good as it should be. The slider wasn't there, and the fastball was kind of losing itself on him a little bit because he was throwing it so hard. So this season, and at the end of last season as well, he decides, okay, I don't need to throw the fastball 95 miles an hour for it to be effective. This year, he tones it back down. The fastball sits at around 93, which is probably a tick or two faster than it was in his first year, but it's at a comfortable place now. And then that fastball is able to work with really good command and he's able to command the changeup, which is a little bit slower than it was last year. And his secondary pitches are working a lot better along with his fastball because he has better command of his entire arsenal. Yeah. And not only have you seen a change from him on the mound, but also off the mound. I think that uh, his comfortability since really since midseason 2020, I think we saw him at the beginning of 2020 and it, it got off to a rough start. He was supposed to be the opening day starter uh, and has arm fatigue, is not able to make that opening day start, and then his first start gets hit around. He just looked not like the same guy in a lot of ways and, and not just kind of the pitching that you just mentioned, Brendan, but he did not look like he was having as much fun. And I know part of that was obviously due to the fact that uh, his father uh, passed away and, and he needed to be with his family and he was obviously distracted um, 
And since then, it has been a steady climb back up to not just what we saw in the first half of the 2019 season, but even greater heights. Uh, and after this game, he, he got a little bit emotional on uh, O's Extra when talking to Scott Garso and Ben McDonald, and then with the media as well, talking about his dad, who passed away less than a year ago, and uh, what it meant to, uh, to have this with his dad having recently passed and, and how he felt the presence of his dad uh, when he was on the mound yesterday. I looked at my glove right before I went out there uh, for the ninth. Uh, it has his initials on it. And, um, and I, I, you know, I said to myself that, you know, he wouldn't care. He's just glad that I'm having a good time. The whole, the accolades and everything like that never mattered to him. But, um, but, but he was, it was pretty special. And I know he'd be proud. That is uh, heart-wrenching, heartbreaking stuff from, uh, from John Means. And uh, it is truly sad that his dad wasn't there to see him throw that no-hitter yesterday. But um, it is in- incredible that Means is, is able to talk about it and able to laugh about it and smile about it and think about his dad. And, and it's amazing that he helped get him through it. Well, look, we talked about John Means finding himself in terms of his command and figuring out his velocity on the mound. A lot of it is mental. A lot of pitching is mental. A lot of baseball is mental. And if you're not in the right headspace on the mound, you're not going to be effective no matter how good your stuff is. And I think a lot of John Means' progression throughout this season is not only figuring out how he's going to be as a pitcher command-wise, velocity-wise, but who he is as a pitcher and probably where he is mentally, just personally. And if he's not all the way there, he's not going to be effective. And I think this season we've seen John Means really come into his own, both on the mound and personally as well. And I'm sure, you know, that having the mental aspect of that game has been huge for him. Yeah, to see the growth of John Means, not just on the mound, but personally and emotionally over the past couple of years has been uh, amazing from our side of things, at least. Um, And in terms of his improvements on the mound, he's been absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. Lowered his ERA to, I think, a 1-3-7 yesterday. Uh, Brendan, you and I were talking about how a couple weeks ago, or about a week ago, the Cy Young chatter was very premature because we were through one month of the season. John means, yes, he was absolutely elite. Uh, But it was one month of the season. It is still premature to talk about Cy Young. Very. But we can, at this point, acknowledge that he has been one of the best pitchers in all of baseball through the first five or so weeks of the season. Yes. Cy Young talk is premature. All-star talk is also probably premature. But like you said, through the first month of the season, he is solidly a top five pitcher in baseball. Yeah, which is utterly incredible to sit here at this point. We underestimated him coming into this season. I know a lot of other people did too, so we're in good company. Uh, But he's pitching like an ace. He is the ace of the Orioles staff, unquestionably. Uh, But when Brandon Hyde was asked yesterday whether John Means is an ace or not, Brandon, of course, took a measured approach, as he does with all things. As Brandon I does. You know, you don't want to label somebody, honestly. Like, I don't want to raise expectations of who he is, but he is definitely pitching like one. There's no doubt about that. Um, He has pitched like one from September on, from last year through this year. Uh, And he's a guy that, you know, for me, aces – not only give you a chance to win the game, but they go long. You know, they 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 can 
battle throughout a game and they give bullpens a rest and they make big pitches in big spots late in the game. And you kind of have a longer leash because of that. And John Means is at that point for me, a guy that can really allow his bullpen to breathe. Uh, you trust him in any situation. He pounds the strike zone and he gives your team a chance to win every single time out. Brandon Hyde always thinks of his players first. So he knows if he's if he goes out there and says John Means is an ace, book it. That's going to make some headlines. Put extra undue pressure on John Means that just doesn't need to be there. But if you get Brandon Hyde off camera, I guarantee he would say, yeah, the guy is an absolute stud. Yeah. Because he has been Brandon Hyde's best weapon so far this season. And he has been he's the one of the best kept secrets. But the secret is out now. At yes. this point, he has established himself on the scene as one of the best pitchers in the game at this moment. Yeah, he's got a one three seven ERA over those seven starts, like you said, four and zero. His WHIP is down to point six seven. He has yet to allow more than three runs in a start. He did that just once against the Mariners. Yeah, uh, earlier on in the season, he allowed three runs, and that was pretty much by far his worst start of the year. Was that three earned run outing? Uh, This is his third start without allowing a run, his third game with at least nine strikeouts, and his fourth game throwing at least seven innings. That's an ace. That's good stuff. That's an ace. And you heard it from Brandon Hyde. He said an ace is is not just, you know, the best pitcher on your staff, so to speak, the lowest ERA on your staff, most wins. It's a guy that you can rely on every fifth day and say he's going to get through – a good portion of the game. He's going to set up your bullpen pretty well. And even when he doesn't have his best stuff, like apparently he didn't have yesterday, uh, <laughs> even when he doesn't have his best stuff, he still can battle through it and can at least get through a good portion of the game and not leave your bullpen to clean up a, a major mess for you on most starts. And and that's what we saw in that first. We said it after we saw that first outing against Seattle. Didn't have his best stuff. Stuff gives up three runs, I think, in the first two innings or so. Settles down, retires a bunch of batters in a row, gets through, what, six innings in that start, and ends up setting up the bullpen very well. So, (laughs) John Means has been the definition of an ace. Yeah, and his development over the last few years has been unbelievable. I mean, this is really only, you could call it his third full season. He had an all-star appearance in 2019 and looks like he's well on his way to an all-star appearance here in 2021. Paul, I do want to address uh, the elephant in the Facebook comments, which is uh, when will John Means be traded? Now, to that point, I want to say that I would be very, very surprised if John Means were dealt at any point this season or seasons down the road. John Means is only 28 years old. He is showing that he has ace potential, And he lines up with the Orioles rebuild. We were talking about when you deal guys at the deadline, you want to get value for them now because they aren't going to give you much value when you need them in the future, when the rebuild is here, when the younger prospects are developing, all that good stuff. John Means is only 28 years old. He's not a position player hitting age 30. We've seen pitchers really hit their stride Around that age 30 season, Trevor Bauer just signed his massive contract at age 30. Garrett Cole, when he signed his huge contract with the Yankees, he was 30 years old. So I would be shocked if 28-year-old John Means were dealt. Because not only is he a young developing pitcher, but he is going to line up really well with when your younger pitchers come up throughout the system 
and are winning you a bunch of games for the Orioles. So I think John Means is here to stay if that's what you're worried about. Yeah, I don't want to spend too much time talking about it because this is just, I think, more of a time to celebrate John Means' day yesterday. Um, But I agree with that line of thinking, and there's all kinds of other things that come into account as well when you talk about, you know, he's pre-arbitration eligible. um, And we said it, I think, earlier on in the season where... You know, it's not like this is a situation where you're getting um, the a, a portion of a guy's career where you feel like this is unsustainable. Right. So, for example, you know, Tommy Malone, three nine nine ERA last year. He's that he was well over thirty. Looked like you know this is the best he's going to pitch at any point, and this will probably not continue in future years. Right. Um, same with, you know, Andrew Kashner. He was on an expiring contract, was pitching pretty well, was not going to come back, was well over 30. You get, you deal him. Even Matt Harvey that we talked about on the last podcast. He's over 30. He's in a, having a little bit of a career renaissance at this point, but he's not going to be a long-term fixture of this rebuild considering he's a free agent after this season, all kinds of stuff. John Means is just, it feels like, it's crazy to say after throwing a no-hitter, scratching the surface of what he could be. Yeah. You know, and this is the first time that we are seeing him start on opening day, be the true ace of a pitching staff. Still a couple years away from 30, still a couple years, several years away from free agency. Uh, They are in no rush to do anything with him at this point, other than sit back and watch him pitch on every fifth day and watch him dominate. Yeah. That is just where he is at this point. And I know that the Orioles in their competitive cycle, are still on the lower end. I still, I know Michael Elias still wants to build up that farm system, go from top, go from number five to maybe number two or number one. But John Means at this point is showing you that he can be even better than the guy that we have seen over the past three years. Yeah, and my follow-up point without spending too much time on the will John Means get traded, the important point that you should be looking at with John Means is that he is not only going to be great this season by all accounts, but that he is going to be a really exciting part of this Orioles process for years to come. Yeah. He is going to be the veteran pitcher on a rotation that's going to include a lot of exciting young pitchers like Grayson Rodriguez, like D.L. Hall, who was absolutely lights out in his first start in A. So there are a lot of things to be excited about with this Orioles pitching rotation over the next few years. And Paul, you mentioned before we even started the podcast that some of the Orioles teams that have been successful throughout history are really built around that pitching rotation. Oh, yeah. yeah, I mean, Oriole Way is, is pitching and defense. Right. And, and, you know, you had the teams in the mid-2010s, the team that won the most games in the American League over the course of five years, and the team that obviously made the ALCS and made the playoffs three times in those five seasons. Those teams were mostly built on a great bullpen, uh, very good defense, excellent defense, and a lot of homers. Those were not, you know... It was it was one of the first times we've seen a very good Orioles team that's kind of built around the lineup and the bullpen. But the greatest teams in Orioles history have traditionally been teams that have great starting pitching. And I said it earlier on in this podcast, some of the best starting pitchers ever in the game have pitched in Baltimore at some point in their career. Jim Palmer, Mike Messina, uh, Mike Cuellar, uh, Dave McNally, Mike Flanagan. Some of the greatest pitchers ever. And this is a, a, an Orioles franchise that had four 20-game winners in one season. 
Uh, they've had some incredible highs with the pitching, and it, it is it saw them go to you know three World Series championships. It saw them have some incredible highs in the seventies and eighties. So this could be. I don't want to jump the gun here, and I know we're, you know, this is a great taste of the future, but we're still a little bit away away from the future here. But this could be the start of something great in Baltimore, and we've said that from the beginning of the the rebuild. But it could not only be the start of something great on the field in general, but also with the starting pitching staff. You think about if John Means sticks around and is somewhere close to this good in the long term. You mentioned Grayson Rodriguez. You mentioned DL Hall. Uh, you still have Mike Bauman. You still have Zach Lowther. You still have Alexander Wells. You still have the number five overall pick in the upcoming draft that could be used on a pitcher. You still have some incredible pitchers in this organization. And to think of a rotation that is built around Rodriguez, Hall, Means, I mean, that will make any Baltimore fan immediately excited just to think about that. And you should be excited thinking about that because I think that this the sky is truly the limit when you think about how good this pitching staff can be years down the line. Yeah, and look at the last few teams that have won World Series. The Dodgers, you've got Walker Buehler, Clayton Kershaw, Julio Urias, Dustin May. The Washington Nationals, the year before. Max Scherzer, Steven Strasburg, Patrick Corbin. These World Series teams have been built on starting pitching. We're not calling John Means Mike Messina just yet, but the fact that in a few years we could see a top three of John Means, Grayson Rodriguez, and D.L. Hall. I mean, my goodness, that's a pitching rotation. Well, and you have the depth as well um, because obviously prospects don't always pan out. So, you know, if if somebody doesn't pan out, you also have Dean Kramer, who's a top 15 prospect. I mentioned Lowther. I mentioned, uh, you know, Keegan Aiken is a guy that we don't even talk about. Kyle Bradish is a guy that we don't even spend a whole lot of time on this podcast talking about. Mike Bauman, Alexander Wells. Yeah, Yeah, all these guys. So... They, they have the depth in case somebody doesn't work out. Um, and it could also be the, the foundation of a very good bullpen if some of these guys eventually kick over to the bullpen and you're able to utilize one or two of their pitches to become elite relievers. So this could be, you know, it, it is just a taste. And I, I know we're still a ways away. And, and um, this rotation's not going to be a top five rotation in baseball by season's end, but we could see some of these guys debut, and we will at least see them uh, crush it in the minor leagues like we've seen D.L. Hall do, as you mentioned, like we've seen Gray- Grayson Rodriguez do. So this is a, a, an exciting, as Adley Rutschman said the other day in a Zoom call with reporters, it's a good time to be an Oriole. Um, yeah. And this day was just a, an utterly magical day yesterday. Um, to be an Orioles fan, I, I know that, you know, we we weren't alive for the last Orioles no-hitter. Not even alive. I know a lot of Orioles fans weren't alive or weren't aware of what was going on the last no-hitter. Yeah. And even fewer were alive the last complete game individual no-hitter or aware of what was going on. So um, it is it is a, a hopefully not a once-in-a-blue-moon event. Hopefully we're going to see more over the coming years, but at least we can appreciate that it happened and that so many Orioles fans, this generation of Orioles fans, Got to see it. Yeah, and it's fun to look ahead to the future of that starting pitching rotation. Even more fun when you add in the fact that they might have a generational backstop calling games for them. Yeah, that that is the other thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it helps uh, if you have a, a a guy behind the plate that can get you through a decade or two of pitching and, yeah. and be a knock on wood and, and be a great defensive catcher. 
behind it, you know, that'll raise the level of any pitching staff. Yeah, and especially a catcher who, if you listen to Adley Rutschman's Zoom, sounds so excited about calling games for these guys and yeah. getting to know these pitchers and getting to know what works for them. But anyway, before we go on another Adley Rutschman tangent, it was an unbelievable day for John Means, and it is a, a greater indication of just how good he can be this season and what he can do going forward in the coming years. Yeah. Um, and also, when you think about it, this Orioles team over the past couple of years, you know, they, they outperformed expectations in 2020, but did not reach the playoffs. Um, obviously, 2019 was a step over 2018 in terms of winning percentage, but still lost over 100 games, still was a, a team that, that struggled in, in pretty much all phases of the game. The future is definitely bright, but... In Brandon Hyde and Michael Elias's tenure, they haven't had days too many days like these. You know, you think of the high watermarks on the field in games of Brandon Hyde's tenure. You think of like the Rio Ruiz walk off against yeah. uh, the Astros in 2019, or you think about maybe the time they pummeled the defending world champs Washington Nationals on the road uh, in 2020. But you don't have too many moments like those to cling to. And there will be more. But Brandon Hyde yesterday spoke a little bit about what it means to have a day like yesterday in the context of the team as a whole. We just haven't had a whole lot to cheer for the last couple of years. And these guys haven't had the opportunity to celebrate uh, a lot of things. And, you know, it's been a two years ago was rough and competitive last year but to, to watch our guys celebrate you know that's a cool moment because uh, this is a tough game and to have you know to watch one of your teammates your brothers uh, do something you know really special is pretty cool day to celebrate for sure I know one thing Brendan this game is going to be shown on Orioles classics probably once a week for the yeah. next 30 years <laughs> as it should yeah as it should but like you said, Paul, there haven't been a ton of Orioles memories over the last few years or games that you can point to, but there's been the steady improvement, which is kind of personified by John Means and his development over the last few years. But the Orioles right now are playing 500 baseball. I mean, they're 15 and 16 in an incredibly competitive AL East, and they're three games back with the first place Boston Red Sox. Yeah. So the Orioles are hanging tough in the AL East, and it's because of guys like John Meads who have led the way. Really incredible stuff. And uh, maybe on our next podcast, we'll talk about more topics, but <laughs> not to, for this one. We had to de dedicate this entire podcast to. One of the greatest moments in Orioles history. Only yeah. comes around, uh, you know, fourth individual in Baltimore Orioles history, sixth overall, first since 91, first individual since 1969. Yeah, Pat Vileka's solo home run truly was special. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> what we will all remember from that game. Um, please let us know what you were doing for the game, if you were able to watch the game. I know it was a, an afternoon game. Some of you, I'm sure, were at work. We're not able to catch the entire thing, but... Uh, where were you? What was your reaction? What will you remember about this game? Um, let us know. How Please. quickly did you buy a John Means jersey after the game? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and what kind of memorabilia are you going to try to have, <laughs> try to buy after this? Um, because I know that there will be certainly yeah. a run on that as well. But um, at Brendan Morty, says Twitter handle, I'm at Paul Mancano. Please like, subscribe, follow, all that good stuff. 
Uh, if you don't already, tell your friends about the podcast, please, and thank you. Give us five stars, rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. John Means throws the sixth no-hitter in Baltimore Orioles history. Great day for the O's franchise yesterday, uh, and uh, great moment in baseball in general. Yeah. Thanks so much for tuning in. 